Welcome to the Les Spellman Podcast, where we redefine how athletes develop speed by giving them the tools to play faster. All right, here we go. Okay, so this part of the programming. So it's about the way that we look at making decisions for our training and make where we go about periodizing those decisions into um, a system. So part zero, this is a little bit of the extra. It's more about strategies and goals before we even start programming. So first, looking at the pathway for programming, the, f- the most important thing to look at, number one, is what level is the athlete, um, which is going to help us determine what to be test. So for example, if you have a middle schooler, it may not make sense to do a max strength test on them. Um, so giving context there is what are we what are we testing? Two is what season. So if they're in season, it may not make sense to test. If they're in preseason, it may not make sense to test. So what we'll go through today, we'll, we'll actually look at when and where might be best for testing. Third is priorities. So what are the outcomes, drivers, and strategies that we're going to implement um, and look at to determine what this athlete needs? So what outcome are we trying to get? Um, what drivers are we really pushing? So physical physical things or, you know, and then strategies are what are those technical things that that athlete needs to work on? Uh, so parties are, are super key. And then group, individual, gym, or team. Are you training a group of athletes? Are you training a single athlete? Or are you working out of the gym? Are you working with the team? All these things will make a ton of sense when we go through this because um, they're all going to use very different periodization schemes and they're all going to have different challenges and requirements for the athletes to uh, improve in. And the last is determine the frequency of training and the length of programming. So in the, in the top left, you see identify where you are on the journey. So basically, are you, you know, are you a middle school athlete that's looking to transition to high school or your high school athletes looking to transition to college? Where are you at on your athletic journey. Uh, second is what season are you in? So asking the athletes, are you in season? Are you off season, early off season? And we'll kind of define what those look like in a second, but we have to determine where they are on their journey um, and what season they're in. And then how many days available to train? So we'll go through different models, two days, three days, uh, one day, and how to actually monitor those days. The first thing you're gonna do is test. Uh, we'll go through what the tests are, but just know it's the first thing we're going to do is actually tap into uh, get all the information that is required for that level. Um, then we're going to compare those tests to benchmarks. So we're going to see where does this athlete rank and score compared to their team or their group or themselves. Um, and we're also going to monitor those changes as we retest. From there, we'll identify the strengths and weaknesses of that athlete. Uh, from there, we'll create outcomes, drivers, and strategies for that athlete. Then we'll program and train. So program design is quite simple. First thing you look at is what's the timeline? Do I have four weeks? Do I have six weeks? Do I have a year? Uh, what's the timeline? Second is the individual analysis. That's just testing. So I want to see when I test this athlete, where are they at compared to the benchmarks? Then look at strengths and weaknesses, deciding uh, what this athlete's good at, what they're not good at. Then we have training structure. So how many days a week, how many, how many weeks do we have? Um, 
building that structure for that athlete. Do they like to work out on Mondays? Not like to work out on Mondays. Uh, just creating that structure for them, that weekly structure. And then lastly is drill selection. Most people start a drill selection. They want to pick the fanciest, coolest drills. Uh, I'm not really interested in that, really. Like, not without the rest of it. So I think there's only so many drills you can do. We don't have a lot. Uh, you'll see soon, like, it's pretty simple. But the other categories make it really, really solid as a program. Okay, so speed journey. I talked about where you're at in your speed journey. This is a uh, kind of lengthy here, but I'll go through it. Uh, you have youth, 9 to 12. I call that foundational. You have youth, 12 to 14. That's very educational. Um, educational because they're, they're really starting to learn movement patterns, 12 to 14. Um, youth, 14 to 16, developmental. They're starting to move into the development window where speed, power, and strength are becoming more of a priority. Youth, 16 to 18, you're looking at athletes that are transitioning from high school into college. Uh, then you have collegiate underclass. So they're transforming. You're seeing max levels of the power, strength, speed, reactivity. Um, they're really hitting it now. Then you have collegiate upper class. And those guys are transitioning to the pros. Um, and then you have pros. And then there's a bunch of levels at pro. Um, you know, you have all pro, you have 10 year veteran, you have rookies, but uh, for now, we'll just keep it at, at pro. Uh, so what's important for these? So for youth 9 to 12, it's not super important that you do forced velocity profiling, load velocity profiling, and all that. Any very basic thing. So the, the priority there is just max speed testing. So how fast are you? And if you look at the first three levels, um, I think that's all you really need for those first three levels is max speed testing. Just see how fast they are. See the outcome. Um, and just train general. And once you get into the developmental window two, youth 16 to 18, that's where you can start looking at acceleration testing, like force velocity profiling. Uh, once we get into collegiate underclass, you can look at acceleration profiling as well as physical testing. So maybe some strength metrics or power metrics. Collegiate upper class, you're starting to look at acceleration. So force velocity profiling, physical profiling, and technical profiling. So we're going to start to get into a little bit more of what that looks like um, from a key performance indicator standpoint. But some of the strategies that we want to see, we're going to start to see that transition to professional. So think combine training with us. And then lastly, the professional, they're going to get everything. So in sprinting, what we're looking at is for outcomes. In this case, we're looking at max speed. And we're looking at horizontal power. Those are our two main outcomes that we're looking to achieve. The drivers of those, the four drivers we're looking for is power, range of motion, strength, and reactivity. Uh, and how we get to those drivers, uh, testing-wise, we'll go through. And strategy-wise, uh, this could change. It, it depends on what you can test and what you can, what metrics you can get. Um, but sprint range of motion. So what's the range of motion in between the thighs at uh, max velocity? You have the front side range is how much of that range of motion is front side. You have thigh angular velocity, which is the velocity that the legs switch from peak extension and peak flexion. If ground speed is how fast the hip moves over the ankle on the ground. So the angular contact angular velocity, ground velocity are very correlated. So just where the foot lands on contact 
and how fast you move through that, that ground phase. Uh, touchdown velocity is how fast the foot is accelerating down towards the ground. And then you have vertical stiffness is once you get to the ground, how stiff is the foot on contact? We've been through this, um, and obviously it's challenging in terms of being able to collect these metrics, but, um, you know, strategies, you can create your own strategies based around your environment and what you can't test. So for player diagnostics, we want it to be individual and in how we do it. We also have some constraints with, um, from a business perspective or team perspective, what we have available to us. So some of the indi individual considerations that we look at are time constraints. So how much time do we have with the athlete? Um, how much time do we have per day? How much time do we have in total until this season? Um, do we have season timing. So are we in the season, off season? How far away from the season are we? Uh, we have previous injuries. Has the athlete been injured before? And then you have mental focus and attention. On the mental side, I've worked with some athletes that uh, don't have the, the necessary uh, focus to really go through and test and sit down and go through the data. And they'd rather just train. So that is a consideration. It doesn't mean they're not a good athlete. It just means that uh, the way that they approach it, it's slightly different. So from there, you look at test selection. So what kind of equipment do I have? How much time do I have? Do I have resources? Do I have people to help me run these tests? Those are all really important considerations when thinking about individualizing, because if you don't have help, you might be looking at a potential issue in terms of trying to collect that data. Um, then you have data evaluation. So we want to measure change. We want to compare to positions. We want to compare to the team. We want to compare to the lead. And then we want to report that data. So um, how do we do that? Do we have a house built for that? Do we have a, a system for that data to go into? These are all important characteristics and, and traits that we need to track over time to keep this individual. Now we look at our, our test. Uh, I put together pretty much every test that we're, that we're doing right now. Um, outcomes, we look at max speed, max horizontal power. The test is a 510 force velocity profile. It gets geometrics. Our drivers, our main drivers are power, reactivity, mobility, max strength, rate of force development. And we have different ways of testing that. Strategies for max velocity, we're looking at sprint range of motion, thigh angular velocity, ground speed, stride frequency, and stride length. And for Excel, we're looking at ground contact, hit projection distance, touchdown distance, stride frequency, and stride length. Um, these are kind of general terms, basic over uh, averaged over 10 yards just for ease. Uh, and again, you can make your own, but these are the typical strategies that we use, uh, outcomes, drivers, and strategies that we use. Now, when we're looking at benchmarking, we're looking at creating a standard or creating something that we can compare the athlete to. There's three different ways we could do this right now. The first is creating a range. So I can say, here's good, better, best, or I could say, here's world-class, here's elite, uh, and here's where you are. Uh, the second way we could do it is a Z and T score. So a Z and T score, we're comparing the athletes to their team or to a group of athletes, maybe their position, and it would give us an idea of where they stand against other people. And then the last one, which is my favorite, is max mins. So max mins, we're able to see where the athlete is against the arbitrary number 
So it's the max number that we choose and a min number that we choose. And we're able to see a scale from there where they rank out of 100 on that scale. So an example of that first first one, first benchmark is max speed. So these are um, just our numbers that we're using. So a pro world-class would be 24 miles per hour or above. Uh, Devin Allen runs 26 miles per hour. We tracked them the other day. Um, Khalid Jibin, 23, 16 to 18, 22, 14 to 16, 21, and 12 to 14, 20.5. And I, those seem high, um, but we also had, we were talking world-class level, we also had about 15 athletes in eighth grade reach 21 miles per hour, and over 20 athletes reach 20. So with some training, these are real numbers. Uh, but these are these are a good example of benchmarks that I'm just comparing to a range. So I can see on this range where I stand, and it's very clear to me. Second would be comparing to a Z or T score. So the first thing we're doing is comparing the athlete to the group. So with group comparisons, we're able to see where the athletes square up against their teammates. So comparing to the group, looking at Z score, which is the variable, the number, whatever you reached, minus the mean divided by the standard deviation. And then you take the T-score of that, Z-score times 10 plus 50. And that score is a not a static score, meaning if an athlete tests after me, and it reaches higher or lower, it could change my score. So that's that's the risk with it. Um, and I can compare that to the entire team. I can compare it to the position group, or I can compare it to maybe my age or my gender um, in, a, in another way. The last one, which is my favorite, is the max min. So I'm creating an arbitrary threshold. With the max min, you could set up the upper and lower limits and have athletes compare to a static ranking scale. So you're comparing to an arbitrary max. So first thing you do is determine your max value. Then you need to determine your min value. And essentially what you do is your value minus min divided by max minus min. Now the score is static. So you can see on the right here, I blocked out the names. Um, we have a, a, a Z score max and a Z score min for everything there. And then uh, all the all the scores, all the rankings out of 100. So you can see exactly where athletes rank according to those maximums and minimums. So next what we want to do is once we have that, we want to create a periodized plan. We want to, want to strategize what we're going to do. So. We have to manipulate volume and intensity, density to achieve the planned training load. The second thing we have to do is monitor changes. So we have to see what's changing as we're as we're adapting. Are we are we moving in the right direction? Right? So observing changes based on planned training load. And last, we have to communicate. So we have to communicate changes to coaches, to staff, to parents, to athletes. We have to make this a simple way to communicate so athletes can understand, coaches can understand, parents, all of the stakeholders can understand where we're at. So the first thing we look at here um, is what we're planning from a training perspective. So as we'll go through to the next piece where we're periodizing our training, um, we'll have planned training. What happens is that you have environmental factors. So athletes are tired, athletes slept bad, or they drank alcohol, or they did something to throw themselves off, they're dehydrated. So the first thing we want to do is we want to monitor our athletes. So we do this by wellness scores. Like we could have an athlete give us a, 
a sleep ranking out of five and an energy ranking out of five and a mood ranking out of five. Uh, or we could use HRV, like a whoop or an aura ring. Or we could just do a physical screen, like when they walk in the door, how are you feeling? Good, bad, not so good, okay. Um, you could also just look at body language. The athletes walked in, slumped over, tired. Cool, I know where they're at. So that's where we make adjustments. So if the athlete comes in and we have this planned training session, let's say 10 accelerations, we're going to make an adjustment. So on the right, we're either going to make an adjustment down or we're going to make an adjustment on the left, up or stay the same. So if the athlete comes in, they're all feeling good. You might add on or we might just maintain the training load. Now the next in training, we're going to look at monitoring our volume, our intensity and our density. So how much volume and intensity we do and how much time. So in training, if the load is higher than what we expected, then we're going to adjust the following session after. If it's about right, then we'll either maintain or add on the next session. So then we look at the response. So now we have the monitoring, we have the training, now it's a response. How did the athlete respond to training? So we'll look at an RPE scale. So an athlete can give us a scale of one to 10 on how hard the session was. If the session was extremely hard, it would be a 10. If it was extremely easy, it would be a one. If the session is a 10, obviously we're gonna, it's a poor response and we're gonna have to adjust the future sessions. If the athlete is a three, you might add on the next session. So I'm just trying to give you guys some insights into how the training load might change based around what the athlete's experiencing. Okay, now we're gonna move into a general overview of periodization. Um, so first we're looking at Charlie Francis and obviously one of the, the greatest coaches of all time. Um, this training system, he calls it vertical integration. It was popularized um, back in the eighties. And essentially he was blending together training components throughout his training plan. Uh, his training components never get completely removed or taken out. So training qualities get emphasized and de-emphasized throughout the plan. The way to incorporate acceleration and max velocity in different volumes and intensities throughout the entire phase or plan was through vertical integration. So the typical plan was like short to long, like, okay, like we accelerate and then we run fast and we do speed endurance or long to short, like we condition aerobically, then we condition anaerobically and then we condition sprint wise like those would be a linear periodization scheme but with vertical integration all the all the components are in the training program the entire time it's just in different values so for example if you look at ours uh to our general preparation phase we're going to emphasize more technique max velocity is not going to be a huge emphasis we're always going to accelerate we're always going to run weighted and we're going to do plyos a little bit of energy system development, more aerobic work. Now we get to more specific prep. Our technique is significantly dropped. Our max velocity is increased and we're going to up our volume of accelerations and up our volume of weighted runs and plyos. Energy system development is always going to be a priority, um, but it's medium priority during this phase. And then as we get into competition prep, technique is very low max velocity has come down just a little bit acceleration is still high uh, weighted runs come down significantly as we want to adapt to that plyos come down significantly and our energy system development becomes a major priority 
So this is just an example. It's not rigid. Um, it could it could go multiple different ways, but this is one example of vertical integration where I have the same components in different values. Part two, phase potentiation. This is from a good friend, Chad Wesley Smith. Phase potentiation is a strategic sequencing of programming phases to increase the potential of subsequent phases and increasing long-term adaptive potential. So essentially what that means is we're training specific qualities in a specific order to heighten the quality. Blocks are placed in specific fashion to heighten the result of the next one. For example, heavy sleds with higher volumes potentiates the lower volume, higher intensity work to follow, culminating in the lowest volume, highest speed work. We're essentially building a huge foundation of volume and work capacity, technical skill, that will then heighten the intensity on the low volume work that's very high intensity in the coming blocks. So just to review, our general prep phase is technical. It's a uh, very work capacity based, higher volume, lower intensity. As we go to more specific prep, it's increased intensity. So the phase potentiation across these two um, overarching themes is going to be very key. So very simple examples uh, going from more extensive to intensive work, our acceleration moving from heavy sleds to longer acceleration, our max velocity going from light sleds to full sprints, and our jumps, hops, and bounds going from extensive rudiments, which is very low-level um, plyos, all the way to depth jumps and plyos. Um, so we're doing jumps, hops, downs, and plyos, and plyos we're defining as a contact time under 0.25 seconds. Uh, jumps we're looking at bilateral, uh, hops we're looking at single leg to single leg, bounds we're looking at single leg to alternating leg. Um, and we're just moving through. So these are just examples of how we might potentiate um, phases so that we can build uh, this is like a very simple uh, way to put it. Now, here's a more of a complex way. So we break it into five different blocks. We look at early off season, which is the first three weeks postseason. First thing we want to do is we want to restore the body back to homeostasis, back to general, back to back to zero. Right? There's not a lot of speed work here. It's very very general prep and. Once we get into early off season, we still have general prep, where we're gonna to start to look at maybe testing and improving weaknesses on the athlete's profile. So a very aggressive strategy would be to attack one driver uh, on the weakness, one max velocity strategy, and one max velocity uh, acceleration strategy. And then maintain whatever the athlete's strength is on the driver. So if they're very strong, maintain that strength and we're working on three weaknesses for that athlete so it's getting more specific then we look at late off season we're going to improve the strengths on that profile so we'll have two strengths we'll have one driver one strategy and maybe two weaknesses if we have if we have enough time in that programming as we get to preseason we're going to really look at being competition specific so when we get to preseason about three weeks before season, we're going to be very competition specific. We want the athletes to emphasize their strengths here and build some confidence going into the season. As we get into the season, we're going to look at maintaining the strengths and working on 
maybe one weakness throughout the throughout the weeks. Part three, weekly undulation. Uh, training is waived for periods of high intensity followed by low intensity to promote neurological adaptations and recovery. So on the left, you look at if there's a high volume day, generally our intensity will be low. If there's a medium volume day, our intensity will be very medium. And if there's a low intensity day, our intensity will be quite high. So this way we're not attacking um, very, like if you give it points, let's say there's 10 points a day, you could only use 10. If you go, if you go eight on volume, that means you only have two for intensity. If you go five on volume, you have five for intensity. But two on volume, you have eight for intensity. That's how we start to look at our programming. Uh, it's even in our language with the athletes. Hey, you know, today's an eight volume and it's two intensity. They know we're going to run. If I say it's a two volume and an eight intensity, they know it's going to be very, very, very fast. And they're not going to, they're not going to run a whole lot. It's just going to be fast, right? So getting more specific here, um, let's look at just our three basic phases of general prep, specific prep and competition prep. Um, looking at the periodization schemes, uh, in general prep, you're looking at just a, a gradual build of five to 10% in volume and intensity per week. So you start off intro, maybe at 50% of the total volume, and you do just increase five to 10% weekly in terms of volume. It's a very linear climb. As you get to specific prep, we start off at a low volume week one. We load pretty heavy week two. We deload week three. We undulate and week four, we peak. So it's an undulating model week to week. As we get to competition, it's a little bit more aggressive where we go intro, load, peak, deload. So there's two back to back weeks that are pretty tough. And there's a three week period before we unload and then move on to the next phase. If you look at uh, below here, we have four different models of how we train our, our templates during the week. The first example is an example of where medium days potentiate the high days. So Monday is a potentiation or tempo day. Tuesday is an acceleration day. Wednesday is in the poor or low intensity work. Thursday is the potentiation or tempo day. Friday is a max velocity. Saturday is a passive recovery day. And Sunday is a rest day. Now, that would be used typically with my older veteran guys or specific times of the year where skill development is more important and takes a priority. And those skill development days would be heavier on the Monday, Thursday. Now, when I have guys in off season and I have no competing, um, I have no competing stimuluses and I'm in control of all the volume. And I'll look at beginning the week with a higher speed day, max velocity day. Then we'll go to potentiation or tempo, pool work, acceleration, potentiation or tempo, recovery, rest. Now, for athletes that uh, are a little bit more sprint dominant, that need to that need to do more sprinting, more work, more frequently, we'll get microdosing a load across three speed days. So now it would be an acceleration day, potentiation or tempo day, a max velocity day, potentiation or tempo day, acceleration day again, which would be a little bit of a longer accelerate day, and then recovery, and then rest. 
um, on the last one here. This is uh, one that I adapted from uh, watching Dan Path, some of the track track specific guys that I've seen out there where there are two high days with one individual day. So an acceleration day, a potentiation or tempo day, max velocity day, a pool day, potentiation or tempo day, and an individual weakness day. So that would be a day where you would repeat either an Excel day or a velocity day. All right. Thank you for listening to the Less Following Podcast. If you do me two massive favors, first, please rate the podcast and give it five stars if you enjoyed. If you didn't enjoy it, please still give me five stars. <laughs> Second, please share this podcast with another coach, an athlete, or a parent who wants to learn how speed is developed. Thanks again for listening and check out the podcast description to learn more.